Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein, and on today's show, this is a special podcast-only introduction to Radio Survivor's 2021 Christmas week special broadcast of filler. Um, My name is Eric Klein. I am one of three primary producers and hosts of this program coming to you from my room to intimately introduce um, an episode of the podcast that I've been planning on producing for the entire six-year run. And it's very dear to me and a little bit strange. Um, It doesn't fit with Radio Survivor so well. Well, here's the thing. The first step, this is going to be a three-part episode. And the first part is extremely Radio Survivor. The first part is the artist, Quintron, who builds synthesizers that are controlled by the weather. This segment was originally recorded. The interview was recorded uh, sometime in 2018 and then aired in August of 2018. I'm extremely proud of it. I've always loved how it turned out. And so we're bringing it back to listen to today. And you know what? Let's listen to that episode or that interview. And then on the flip side, after we hear that, um, I will introduce the rest of the show. I've been building analog since for some number of years now, for all 20, 20 or more years, and uh, have always really enjoyed working with uh, strange new ways to filter the sounds in the circuits as opposed to twisting knobs or pressing buttons. Um, all you're doing is, is varying voltage and constricting it and switching things in, in different ways, and you can certainly find ways to do that with the kinetic energy that is the weather which is happening all the time and changing all the time and wind is you know wind is one of the greatest gifts of kinetic energy that we have so i've built these sensors a set of sensors that attaches to a pole outside and it's wired to the synth gener- you know the sounds that are being generated are in the brains of it inside and there is a set of uh, two wind speed anemometers that are filtering uh, two notes in the cord, and then there's a sky sensor, a sun, sunrise and sunset sensor, or a gloomy day sensor, a moon sensor. And there's a rain sensor, but it would work with snow or dew or moisture, and then there's a temperature sensor. And in the future, there will be things like barometric pressure and other parameters, but I'm up, I'm up to just those five now. And so it's it's droning in a and it's changing. Uh, well, the the, the, uh, the um, uh, people often say that, that the weather is making the sound, and that's really inaccurate uh, statement. That really, the sounds are being generated. This I've built a synth that generates an F major chordal drone, or you can shift it to different. Uh, but the one I'm really into right now is F major. So you've got the root, the third, the fifth, and the high octave. And those four notes 
are being pushed and pulled and massaged and filtered through various classic analog circuitry um, by changes in the different components of the weather. That's the nutshell explanation of what's happening. Yeah, beautiful. And so let's, um, you can build this thing and enjoy it yourself. Like uh, other people could do this, but you've, um, you've essentially also turned it into a web stream, an online radio station. Is that right? Yeah. The, the real, I think the, the, the real importance of this project and the epiphany that I had, I've had this idea forever and I've been kind of working on it forever. And I did, um, a big residency of my first one ever, uh, art residency in Captiva, Florida. It was a Robert Rauschenberg residency. And I went there to work on this weather synth. I, I knew what I was going to do. And I had the circuits and I had all the pieces to build. And then, um, as I began doing it, I realized my first thought was like, how can I make this smaller and cheap and manufacture it for people to buy? To, you know, wouldn't it be cool to be able to go get a, at the hardware store a weird weather drone, you know, help you get to sleep at night kind of in wacky invention. And then it hit me literally in the middle of the night, like lightning bolt, like this should stream for free. It should be free. I should make, because I was holding myself back from building the best one I could build. I was constantly thinking like cheaper components, smaller how can I cut corners here to make it affordable for your regular person? And maybe it seems obvious <laughs> to somebody else, but it wasn't obvious to me. And I was like, oh, no, this needs to be radio, free radio, online radio, all the time, constantly changing forever. And then I can make the ultimate deluxe one and I can don't have to cut any corners and I can do the, do the craziest circuits I want and add the wildest, you know, additions and uh it just is part of this kind of shared project and that was really um that that kind of changed a lot of my thinking about everything that that um idea to make it public and free and and streaming and that that is available to us now for fairly cheap you know i pay maybe 30 bucks a month for my for somebody else to host it mm -hmm. um and that's available for listeners to hear at this very moment at weatherfortheblind.org. At this very moment at um, weatherfortheblind.org. And sometimes the stream goes down. Sometimes the power goes out in New Orleans. Sometimes I need to move the instrument from here to there, whatever. So, But um, on the site is also an archive of um, some choice, you know, hour, two-hour long pieces of music that this instrument has made for you to listen to. Yeah, and I like this. So you're you're telling me how, you know, it was kind of an epiphany is like how I'll describe it, right? Because it's so obvious to put it on the, as a stream so people can hear it all the time instead of uh, making one for everybody. You just make one stream mm -hmm. for everybody. And now now I can turn on New Orleans weather uh, whenever I choose. Like, but So what did, that, what did that add to your 
What did that add to the piece? Now that it's streaming? Well, what it did for me was it really connected me with a whole community of people because mostly in, I'm a musician by trade. I, I tour as a musician and I've built other synthesizers and sold them um, for years and years. It's kind of been my living. And my audience has been other synth nerds and builders and, you know, rock and roll fans and, you know, a, a joyous, lovely, hermetic cult of um, family that, that, you know, I'm not, I uh, don't disparage at all. But what the opening this up as kind of a for everyone free 24-7 streaming service that was just a, a constant kind of healthy, peaceful drone. I started getting emails from healthcare professionals, lots. I've done lots and lots of interviews with um, sight-impaired publications and radio stations, and um, it's being used in some end-of-life hospice care facilities, and people have been talking to me about just mental health um, benefits and I, I don't know like it, it opened up my world to a whole bunch of people and communities of people that I otherwise wouldn't cross paths with and it you know it gets your mind thinking in different ways and um, it's been it's been kind of the best thing I've ever accidentally stumbled on because of that really We're on the line with Quintron, a musician, an instrument builder, and specifically a synthesizer builder, a synth builder. And we're talking about your Weather for the Blind project, the Weather Warlock, right? The which is uh, the instrument. It's sort of confusing. The instrument I call the Weather Warlock. The site where you can hear it is weatherfortheblind.org. Uh, and it's a it's a synthesizer that is controlled by the weather. Yes. And. Because you put it on the internet and it's a live stream 24-7 unless the power goes out, um, it's really uh, it's, it's become transmission art. And I wonder how, how did it get connected then to I found about I found out about the project via Wavefarm, the mm-hmm. transmission art uh, uh, institution there in upstate New York linked to a community radio station. And how, yeah. how did they how did they get it? They they commissioned an instrument from me, um, which I'm still doing. I'm building them for uh, on commission for different people and tailoring it to the environment, the climate, the the budget of whoever you know is wanting one. But um, as you know, they're doing really really cool stuff up there, and they have uh, an actual live FM station that they're hooked up with and they've got a 24-7 online really just total weirdo radio thing going on and so they commissioned an instrument and they went and uh, lived there for two weeks and built one tailored to upstate New York and they have it in their DJ booth in their stu- in their radio studio so it's kind of like a, they. I just went and visited them after I guess they've had it for about a year and a half or something and they said that it's uh, they love it having it in the studio because it's it's uh, 
the ultimate solution to, oh my God, my, I haven't found my next record yet, or I'm, I'm behind on this or that. It is the greatest filler music of all time yeah. because it's playing itself and it's always different and they've got a knob just for that. And it's just like, whoop, you don't have enough time to flip that peaceful weather warlock in there. And you can kind of tweak it and play it along. It's, a, it's great. It's wonderful glue to adhere between different um, music genres or talk and music or whatever. So that's what they have ended up using it for. It's like right, right next to the DJ microphone in their studio. That's really wonderful because I still, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been at a board on a live radio program, but I still to this day will have anxiety dreams about the dead air that may or may not have ever occurred. Uh, where's that oh, CD yeah. that I need? Am I queuing or am I on air? Oh my God. It, and so, yeah, to I, have a I'm good. I'm like techy and good with that kind of thing. And I mess it up all the time when I, I don't host a regular radio show, but yeah, it gets, uh, you know, everything's kind of I, backwards and <laughs> that's really strange, wonderful. but yeah, yeah. So, so they, so they paid for their own, uh, Weather Warlock, right? Yes. Okay, got got it. Weather Warlock, which is a synthesizer controlled mm-hmm. by the weather. And at this very moment, I need to find somebody out there in the world who wants to pay you to make a Weather Warlock for the Pacific Northwest because that would be uh, beautiful. We could pick a different key. Every- right now, there's one in Miami, which is tuned to E. Um, and there's one in upstate New York and there's one in New Orleans and I really I don't want to do any more on the eastern seaboard I want to do one up I want to do one in a gloomy part of the upper sure Pacific Northwest or Canada just to work with those environments and I'd like to do one where there's a lot of snow or someplace on the coast you're in Portland Oregon right I think drop D is that we should go drop D for the key for Portland <laughs> I'm in it. I'm into it. Um, wonderful. Well, Quintron, you are a musician as well as the synth builder, and you are also a touring act. You, you tour as Quintron and Miss Pussycat, and mm-hmm. we're talking here on Radio Survivor about the transmission art that you've created. But I kind of want to transition for the time that we have left to talk about, um, like, where do you know? I I think you have a unique uh, perspective. I'm assuming on. On, on what this country's radio stations have to offer the traveling artist? Well, it uh, just has to have to offer, you know, the American public. I've always been a huge consumer of radio. Um, and it's still, you know, I live in a place that has hurricanes and um, environmental disasters on a more regular basis than a lot of places do. And when it all breaks down, let me tell you, AM radio is all you got and it still is very important for um disseminating news and shortwave on an even higher level as far as you know when things really break down shortwave is is a way for first responders to communicate with one another and um yada yada but yeah uh, you know the internet the internet can can come and go but radio waves are impervious to hurricanes and I, I'm a yeah. I'm a big consumer and lover of AM radio, and, I, and when we tour, we only 
do radio in the van. We don't bring CDs or tapes because we really both enjoy just kind of like hearing stations fade in and out and hearing, you really get a sense of a place when you're driving into Texas or wherever and you, you know, you, the radio starts to change and you flip constantly flipping around the dials and you hear, you know, like what's, what's the, the pulse of whatever region you're in. Yeah. And clear channel is, is trying to ruin all of that by homogenizing everything and, and buying out college stations and turning them into the same four NPR shows. But there's still really weird, amazing AM radio out there all over the place, especially in the South. For some reason, I, I, maybe it's cheaper to get a license or I'm not sure, but New Orleans in particular has, has incredible AM and, and FM radio. WWOZ is like a pretty powerful FM station that's completely committed to traditional uh, New Orleans jazz and blues and uh, all things New Orleans. And there's a lot of church stations here and lots of local talk. There's a show on about uh, only about food and wine and dining in New Orleans hosted by a native New Orleanian on local radio six days a week for three hours a day. This guy talks about <laughs> restaurants and food and wine, and he's got callers lined up out the door. Yeah. It's crazy. What's what's that show Live called? Live church and where broadcasts is it? On all day on every Sunday. It's, uh... can, can you help me if, if I was to try to Google up this uh, uh, 15 Google hours? Google Tom Fitzmorris. Tom Fitzmorris is, is my radio hero, my talk radio hero. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh, He's the food radio host, and he adamantly refuses to discuss politics or yeah. sports because there's so so many other shows that do that. You know, he's not trying to be a jerk about it, but he's like, this is a place for you know to forget about that and to talk about the pleasantries of life for a couple hours a day. And he's got the, he's got the voice, and he's got the greatest bumper music of all time, and stories and he's kind of a snob he's not he doesn't suck up to his callers or or you know have that weird thing where they agree with everybody so you don't know what they really think um that's fantastic that's one fantastic talk radio host and do you do you get to when you go on tour with quintron and miss pussycat do you do you visit like stations and get on the air Uh, uh, yeah 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 as much as we can um one of you know our music is pretty culty and strange so um you know we're not going to pop 97 or anything but um yeah there's there's certain towns that have really strong underground music community radio presence chicago in particular new york kind of not as much as they used to but there's still um, fmu Quindron, uh, thank you so much for talking to me about the Weather for the Blind project, weatherfortheblind.org, where people can hear yep. uh, the weather in New Orleans uh, playing a, a synthesizer. And I hope I hope I can hear the weather in other places soon. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your interest and in, in, uh, talking to me, and keep in touch.
That interview with Quintron was originally recorded sometime before August of 2018. Might have even been in late 2017, now that I'm thinking about it. I could check my notes, but I haven't done so. Um, clearly, pre-pandemic, we're talking about uh, touring musicians uh, you know, skating smoothly through their 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 tours as opposed to um you know planning them around the pandemic shutdowns and whatnot. <laughs> uh, funny part personally is when we recorded that interview in 2018 or 2017 um i had no electronic skills to speak of and since then i have begun the process of learning and taking classes and building enough enough uh, uh, awareness of my own skills that that like maybe maybe it will be me that builds this Portland weather machine that plays a synthesizer it would uh, take a lot of leveling up of my current skills but now it's not without um, it's, it's a it's a reasonable dream and uh, I should reach out to Quintron as soon as possible I have not done so to ask uh, for assistance and permission and to see if uh, if it can all get done. Uh, one of the reasons I mentioned that I haven't reached out to Quintron is, at the moment, the Weather for the Blind website, which is still functioning, does not stream the amazing-sounding and my favorite stream for years um, prior to this interview and after this interview. Quintron's stream of the weather playing a synthesizer in New Orleans has been down for years, and I can only assume that the that that the website is still up, but the stream is down because of um, you know the the technical and financial uh, burden that is uh, online streaming twenty four seven forever. Um, what an incredible uh, privilege it was to listen to that stream when it was up, and because uh, it really was a twenty four hour drone, constantly changing controlled by the weather in New Orleans, listen to the sunsets, listen to the sunrises, listen to the storms. Um, every opportunity I ever had to stream that channel was really fun. There is still a stream up at Wave Farm's uh, website. Wave Farm, the radio station mentioned in the interview, has a, a weather machine, a weather-controlled synthesizer in their studios, and that stream is actually still online. At Wave Farms website, you can search for uh, search for it there. Um, very cool system. So this is the long version of the podcast. I'm going to have to edit myself a radio edit that's much shorter, much less personally expressive. In that edit, uh, Eric Klein, <laughs> my name, the the radio host, will not be um, sharing so much of what's personally on. Uh, my mind um, because of the time but also it's weird you know radio uh, people being being on the radio is a weird privilege and being on a podcast is a different kind of privilege and I feel more personally uh, capable of expressing myself on podcasts because I'm not worried about the clock and I'm also not worried about um, what it's like to tune into the radio and hear uh, hear somebody um, talk about the the, usually it's because my feelings about producing radio, uh, and I mentioned this last week on a very special episode that I'd love to plug now. Um, we talked with Hannah McGregor and Jennifer Stover 
on an episode that Jennifer Waits produced and Paul Reese Mandel was there. The whole team was there. And the reason why I mention it and the the speech I'm gearing up to give, the, the episode um, was focused on burnout and our guests are academic podcast producers. And so we definitely talked a lot about what it's like to, to do that work and to get tired. Um, the reason it was put together by Jennifer Waits is because I, myself, Eric Glide, uh, definitely hit a wall this this month or so producing this podcast. The work of doing Radio Survivor has been um, very important to me and in, in many ways uh, my like clear link to this past that I value, the the radio producer that I've been my whole life, um, Radio Survivor is my primary radio project, but uh, it does not uh, pay. And those thoughts have always been um, a burden, thinking about how, how the work that I love to do uh, is not work that uh, can, you know, sustain that can put food on the table. And, uh, of course, we do have a Patreon, and we have many, many generous supporters, uh, but it's a small number of many, right? Uh, in the grand scheme of things, podcasts with successful Patreons uh, have have built much larger supportive audiences than ours. And that is not, uh, uh, you know, it's very important to, to emphasize how generous everyone has been to Radio Survivor helping helping us to uh, defray some of the costs of the production uh, as as it as it were um, last week's episode was the first fresh interview in our feed recorded in quite a long quite a long time we took a break and that's normal for winter but I think this winter was especially uh, it was especially important to me as the primary producer of um, and that role, I could explain it for days. You know, Jennifer Waits has been definitely booking the 99% of the guests on Radio Survivor in the last couple of years as Paul Reismandel's, um career in podcasting really took off and consumed um, not just his free time, but all of his time time. And um, Myself, I took on a role largely of a, like a technical producer, which is a role that I was very comfortable with. It's the role that I had when I was paid to work in radio, uh, which means like editing most of the episodes, uh, getting them uploaded to the internet, you know, doing the the metadata such as it is or the web work sometimes. Although I would definitely uh, lean heavily on Paul and Jennifer to do uh, the vast majority of the web work, you know, the show notes, the show descriptions, uh, coming up with the title for the podcast post and um, the links. The show notes includes many links and all of that work with stuff that um, I leaned on Paul and Jennifer to accomplish after I'd done all the radio edits. Um, That's been the work I've been doing. Well, why do I mention it all? It all became even that small amount of labor for me on a weekly basis uh, became unsustainable in my mind uh, and uh, in my body. And uh, that level of burnout 
that I was uh, communicating with Paul and Jennifer privately um, led to this wonderful episode, episode number podcast 323, where we talked about hope, labor, burnout, and balance, getting real about podcasting. Um, That was last week's episode. I'm very proud of that. This week, now, I'm producing this episode, and I'm taking the opportunity to share with you a very dear-to-me piece of radio that I produced about 10 years ago when we moved to fresh fresh after uh, my family's move to Portland, Oregon, after having left the Bay Area where I had a, a eight-long-year career in radio that I value very much and changed my life. And this podcast that I produced here in Portland um, meant the world to me, and I put my heart into it. And in fact, the first episode that you're going to hear aired on the radio on a, a now non-existent a non-commercial, low-power FM radio station in Portland, Oregon. Um, it did air after I produced it. And then the second episode that I'm going to play for you uh, never aired. So it's going to make its radio debut uh, in the radio edit. That radio edit, that uh, it will not include any of this stuff. So what am I here to tell you? I'm here to tell you that the project was called Crow's Nest Radio. It also had originated um, on the airwaves of KPFA, a personal project that I was able to produce um, on a a large number of Sundays uh, prior to my departure from the Bay Area. I had uh, some airtime to make art that I valued very much. And um, in this episode that you're going to hear, in the sound that you're going to hear, I'm going to leave it in in the podcast. You're going to hear me promoting websites and RSS feeds and future plans. And um, I can make no promises And in fact, I know for a fact that links are broken. (laughs) Websites are no longer being maintained. RSS feeds have expired, right? And that, that sort of thing, those missing ingredients to the to the production, me promoting websites that no longer exist, me talking about subscribing to RSS feeds that I don't think are still there. Um, was one of the main reasons why I've never done this work on Radio Survivor, the main reason why you have not yet heard this in our feed, because it was incumbent upon me as a producer to fix that stuff. And following on the uh, big burnout episode of 2021, I feel wonderful to share this stuff with you. This is These are dead links. These are forgotten dreams. <laughs> this is a piece of radio that I produced that I'm extremely proud of. And I think that uh, past me from 10 years ago does a wonderful job of introducing it so i'll i'll let that run now hello everybody this is crow's nest radio a podcast from portland oregon my name is eric klein i'm an out-of-work radio producer I'm coming to you from my son's bedroom about an hour before I have to go pick him up from school, and I'm here to present to you my first episode of the podcast since moving to Portland in 2011. It is about, well, let's put it this way. It's raining in Portland today. It's the first, like, real rain of 2014, and it is nice because December of 2013 
was cold and dry and stressful and lonely. <laughs> and I am glad to say goodbye to December of 2013. And it could not have ended soon enough as far as I was concerned. It was rough for me. Um, but one of the things that got me through it was working on this piece of radio that I'm going to share with you now. I hope you like it. I like how we're all connected, like we're all friends, and we have fun together while we're singing. We can laugh at our mistakes. <laughs> I love the fact that as an adult, I still get to sing in a choir. My dream is to have an intergenerational women's choir in every state, but I'm going to start at home first. Feeling connected to each other, doing things that when we do them, we feel better than before we did them, being courageous, like singing out loud with the only voice you're ever going to get, and joining that voice together in song with other people in the place where you live. I really believe that women's voices need to be heard. Crystal Aikens is the founder and director of the Portland Intergenerational Women's Choir. And we heal together because the way that women become connected is by visiting and sharing their stories. We um, become rejuvenated once we've been sharing our stories. So that's really why I started a women's choir is because we like to gather. And I believe if you gather the women, you can change the world. Crystal's choir, the Portland Intergenerational Women's Choir, is made up of women and girls of all ages. They rehearse in an elder care home out on Southeast Division. So here we go from the top. Sing out. Okay, feel the style. Connect with each other all the way across the room. It's about being together. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. We have um, girls and women who have lost their mothers. We have women who have never been able to have children. We have um, women who have never had the opportunity to meet their grandparents, their grandmothers. So it's a place where we all come together and we belong to each other and we can experience those type of relationships through the choir. It's just an opportunity you don't usually get. I mean, like, even in, like, school, it's like kids are divided into grades. You only get to really meet people who are, like, maybe a year older or a year age difference from you. I really like singing with kids and um, retired women and elderly women and working women and I, I like the, the vast array of people here. I'm amazed with this whole choir and those darn kids know the music just like, I mean there's times when I'm, I'm observing their mouths because I'm getting the words from them on a new piece. So, um, to see that this many children, and adults, and old people all get along, it's amazing. It's incredibly healing, and it's hard to describe. It's not... I try to talk about the choir with people and explain what we do and why it's so meaningful and important, and it's hard to find the words. It's, it's beyond what it looks like. It's beyond the singing. It's like the vibrational quality is super healing for our bodies physically and I think energetically for each other in the world. It's hard. I don't know how else to explain it. 
That's Anna Cohen talking about the indescribable power of singing with one another. Before her, we heard from Muriel Henderson, Deborah Gitlitz, and Maeve O'Connor. What Anna is talking about was an idea that was repeated often by members of the choir, that singing with the group lifted their spirits and gave them a good feeling they could carry with them for the rest of the evening, for the rest of the week. It could have something to do with how Crystal approaches leading the group. She calls herself a therapeutic choral conductor. A therapeutic conductor is more vulnerable. So, for example, I share stories of um, when I was told I wasn't a good singer or the work that I had to do to become a vocalist. And I think that's very therapeutic because if I'm open, then it allows women to be open back to me. Shannon Batts sings in the choir with her daughter, Maeve. I think a lot of us get that uh, message that we can't sing or it's not enough or we see the superstars and we go, oh, that's pretty awesome. That's nothing like me singing in the shower. But um, you just never know what you can do with your voice until you, you get that, that acceptance and the opportunity. Carol Dwyer is an extremely enthusiastic young member of the Intergenerational Women's Choir. I think it's really fun and loving and I really like it because you get to spend time with people and you have family and friends and you just like, you get to sing. That's my favorite part of my life, singing. I've always, I might not be a rock star, but I just like to sing a lot. I love the energy. I love Crystal's energy. She's just a just a little spark of fire. She's just like, okay, we're going to sing. Okay, now you know it, right? Okay, sing it. And there's, she's on the one hand, she's like, it doesn't just bring joy of singing. You don't have to know what you're doing. On the other hand, she, she expects, she projects an expectation that everyone will be capable of excellence. And so people are producing excellence very quickly, which is a thrill. It's really fun. What she does is a calling. You know, she's not ego-based. She's divine-based, and just, I mean, I just think of us, we're all Crystal's girls. Really thought that I would just stay in the background and just go along for the ride, and just in perfect Crystal style, she threw me out there in uh, the first show we did, and the first solo <laughs> some Christmas song that was really beautiful, but way out of my reach, I thought. I just remember complaining a lot, which was a habit I had to break. There was a lot of, I can't do this, until I got the pep talk one day. And she said, you know, you need to just stop saying that you can't do it now, okay? Because you're doing it, and you're doing fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, I guess I am, okay. I've done solos even, and it just, it's amazing. And the women in this program are, you know, there's only a few of us real old people. But uh, there's a lot of fun younger people and people with kids and all sorts of lives. And so it's been a great time to spend time with them. All these women, the joy, the sisterhood, the, just the joy of singing and her service is mind-blowing. So that last voice you heard was Stephanie Krasner. I'm joined in my son's bedroom by my son who I've picked up from school. What do you think, kiddo? I like, I like that thing. I like that. So yeah, that was the, 
that was the radio piece as it first aired on KZME, radio station where I volunteer these days at 1071fm.org if you're interested. And um, yeah, so what like what sticks out for you, kiddo? I mean, you've heard that piece before, right? Yeah, only part of it. Oh, okay. But like, what did you think about like the stuff that they had to say about like singing together? Because like you you sing with yeah. your classmates in school, right? Yeah. Is that is that a highlight of your day? No, well, we didn't do it today, but it would be a highlight if I did, right? What do you like about singing with your classmates? Um, I don't really know. I just like singing, and there's a lot of songs I really like. Yeah. Do you, do you like singing them by yourself? No. No. So why do you think it's better to sing them with other people? Cause I don't know. I just it's funner to be with other people yeah. than to be alone. It, it's it's more fun to sing together. Yeah. Yeah. It's special. Um. Well, kiddo, based on that idea, I have more to share with you. I have new stuff. So the other night when you stayed home with mom. I went out to another rehearsal of the choir. They they moved. To, yes, you. I know you're aware. You mo- they moved to another um, another location because it's the it's a new season. Which is a church. Yeah. Now they're singing in a church and uh, still way out in the southeast Portland. But can I, we listen to your song? Yeah. Well, that's what we're gonna do. So I wrote them a song. And first, we're going to hear from Crystal, the choir director, sort of explaining what was about to happen uh, to the choir. And then you'll hear me. He took our words and he wrote you a song. And you're going to be singing the song that he wrote using your words. It's beautiful. Crystal set up an interview with the whole choir. And I didn't have the courage to tell her that I wasn't going to be able to use it. Because it's impossible. (laughs) On the radio, you can only use interviews that are on mic. And I couldn't get a microphone in front of everybody. It was still the best interview, even though it was all off mic. Hmm. And all of the, I transcribed the interview and then um, turned it into these lyrics and, and wrote, wrote this song. Does everyone have a copy in their hand? Okay. Go. Well, my friend, thank you so much for helping me out with this podcast. 
Um, I appreciate it. Let me ask you this, buddy. So that's the that's the podcast. You've heard the whole thing, and you helped me with it, especially here at the end. Um, what do you do you think like the next episode should be about, or like what do you think this podcast is about? I don't know. Yeah. Well, like what what was this one about? The choir. Yeah, which was about like people singing together. Yeah. So I could like find other examples of people in Portland singing that, together. Remember um, that guy with the keyboard you could do? Because it doesn't have to be together, it could just be music. That's right, yeah. There's the guy with the keyboard who's a, um, who's, who's a busking street musician, yeah. and now is my friend, uh, Buddy. His name is Buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I recorded him uh, playing a show. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was a sort of funny name, Buddy. Buddy is a funny name, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. It could be about him singing his songs. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, like people doing stuff together in Portland. It, or And or um, singing and making music. Yeah, definitely music. Well, for this one, sort of right at the very, very end of working on it, I realized I wanted to write a special song for, for the piece. That maybe like for the podcast, maybe that's like what, maybe that'll happen in another episode. Like I'll write more songs. Would you help me write more songs? Maybe. Maybe sing them with me or something. We'll see how that goes. And then I want to let everyone know that, um, well, geez, uh, how often do you think it should like come out? Like this, this one took me like a month. Do you think if a podcast came out like once a month that people would listen to it? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, once a month. But maybe maybe it should be sooner? Yeah, like I, once a week or something. Once a week is, like, ideal, but that's that's once, hard. Once a month, then. What if there were, like, shorter ones that came out, maybe, like... In between. Yeah, but... Yeah. You could try it. You could try. We'll see what happens. Um, everyone... Like short ones that are just me... Like, short ones that are just me and you talking together for, like, a minute or two, or two minutes. Right, like yeah. On That's something. a... That's and those can be the in-between one. Those can be the in-between one. And the other ones can be, like, the stuff that you heard just now, which right. is the um, choir. Mini episodes. Yeah. Good idea. Um, yeah, so people can look this podcast up on a website. Do you remember the website? Crow's Nest Radio? No, du- wait, yeah. No. Yeah. com. You can like crow's nest radio on facebook which is a way to get updates um you can follow it on twitter which is a way to get updates and you can visit the website you can also subscribe uh to the rss feed or whatever other kind of podcast feeds you use to podcasting i'm pretty sure i am 90 percent sure it'll be up on the itunes uh i'll work that out i know i can do it oh and hey i need to ask you one more thing Eamon. do you remember the old show. Do you remember the shows I used to do? No. That was a while ago. See, that was before we moved to Portland, uh, before you started kindergarten. Yeah. But it was called Crow's Nest Radio, and all of those episodes are up as well at the website. But this is going to be like Crow's Nest Radio Season 2. That was, I guess, Season 1 from the Bay Area, from the Oakland-Berkeley Bay Area, when the show was uh, mostly broadcast on KPFA, which and was, it was a... And it was all mostly you, right? It was me and lots of other people. Like, I never did it alone. But it was never with me. No, you were too young to play along. 
And Shine, maybe. Right. So uh, tell, tell me what that website is again. Crowsnestradio.com. Yeah. All right. Peace out. Bye. Again, thank you for listening, Radio Survivor audience. That was originally produced by me, Eric Klein, in, obviously, in, uh, it looks like the date was January of 2014, December of 2013, January of 2014. I think uh, I mentioned uh, in the introduction that it was 10 years ago. Obviously, not yet, but but soon. Soon it'll be 10 years old. Uh, my son was in second grade helping me to co-host the show, and... Um, uh, there's only one other episode of this um, particular podcast project that I called Crow's Nest Radio, and that's what I'm going to share with you next. And then I uh, um, did not produce any more. There's been many other podcast projects, including Radio Survivor, that came along afterwards. But here was here is two standalone episodes of a project that didn't get off the ground, uh, but still is very dear to me, and that I put in a whole huge amount of work as a radio producer. Um, that first one, though, I want to say, looking back, like uh, having li- listening to it with the um, eight years since it was produced, uh, seven years, um, it's obvious to me that that one of the things I was uh, mulling over in my brain and why it was why we made it is because having left behind uh, my job at a community radio station, my paying work at a community radio station, I was struggling to find another. Uh, community of people to uh to 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 wrap to wrap around to 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 inform my work and my life and and stumbling onto this women's choir uh which a friend of a friend introduced me to um really was a special special moment and uh, a really cool way for me to you know break out my microphone and my radio producer skills and meet some new people and and make make radio with them uh so following that example i found i found one more uh one more story to tell on in this particular project and i'm going to share it with you now peggy and mark are a retired couple who drove across portland to visit goats she loves goats. No, no. She used to ride a goat years ago. <laughs> These goats are local celebrities. Who is this? Is this the uh, this is, twin? This to... is Precious. This is Precious, yeah. Precious is a four-month-old baby goat, a twin, born into this herd of urban goats. One of her owners, Bix, is holding her in his arms while Peggy and Mark are falling in love. This little that girl one that... really, really likes you. Well, she, she hugs you. She and her sister were born here, so they've been handled oh, by us since so the day they were that's born. That's why she kind of she, she hugs against your chest in there. You know, she just kind of I'm all relaxed. You got me. And she's so cute. Isn't she pretty? Precious is a baby in a herd of a dozen goats who live on a huge vacant lot in the middle of southeast Portland, two city blocks worth of grassy field surrounded by chain link fence. These goats have been drawing people in for over a year, but Peggy and Mark just heard about them on the news the other day and came for a visit. Now, who's that standing up there? The one sniffing Bambi? Oh, yes. That's Carl. That's Carl. That's because Carl has a thing for Bambi right now. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Carl's oh, actually yeah, one of the go. two goats. that They were one of the original. Carl and Phil were <laughs> two of the original goats, and they came from a herd that was just the two of them, and they didn't get a lot of people interaction, so they mainly stick to themselves. Carl, however, Carl, however, has actually started to let us pet him in the last like week. 
Carl the goat used to be a little standoffish, but he's warming up to the humans in his life. Goats, like people, can change. Where the hell did I move to? Why are there goats in the middle of the city? Crow's Nest Radio is the name of the podcast. My name is Eric Klein, and I'm a little obsessed with this herd of urban goats in the middle of the city. I'm not alone. If the stories are true, they've had thousands of visitors, and they've generated more than their share of TV and print coverage. I'm just one more storyteller in a long line of folks drawn in by this very Portland story. Everyone was in a good mood. I mean, you can't be in a field of goats in the middle of a city and not be happy. I'm standing in the middle of this field of grass and dirt and random slabs of broken concrete in the middle of the city, talking to Bix, a man who takes care of goats. He recently became co-owner of this herd. Do you have a lot of experience with goats other than this herd? No. Well, what have you learned about goats because of taking care of this herd? Um, well, let's see. Um, they're, uh... They're all very different. I mean, they definitely have distinctive personalities. Precious is going to chew on your jacket there, down there. Um, when you say when you say chew, is it like an adorable sort of gumming, or is it my jacket will be eaten by a? Goat? If she gets it to her back teeth, she'll be able to start sort of like you know chomping into it. If she's just t- checking with her front of her mouth, they only have teeth on the bottom and the front. But they, and she may not even be chewing. She may be tasting because they don't have any. They use their lips like we might use fingers in addition to taste so that they have to touch everything to see what, what it is. Um, but at any rate, um, you know, we've learned they have very different personalities. If you, if you get them when they're really, really young, hold on. I'm going to pick this one up so that she stops chewing on stuff. Bix takes Precious up into his arms, on the one hand, to protect my coat, while at the same time socializing her to human contact. Perhaps you've heard before about goats for hire brought into the city to tackle a vacant lot or an urban hillside, to eat every weed and every thistle without fossil fuels or minimum wage. Well, these aren't those goats. These goats, as Bix explains to another visitor, they just hang out. No, these, these are primarily not even working goats. They're mainly just leisure goats. Oh. <laughs> this is pretty much what they do. This is yeah. what they do with their day. Yeah, like my cat. Yeah. <laughs> like her cat. They may live in Portland, but they don't do rain. They really do not like the rain. If it's raining here and they're out in the field, they'll come charging back across the field and get undercover. But on this particular day, the day of my visit, the winter sun is shining in an almost warm way, and the goats are all out, lying around on the roofs of their structure. Most of them at this point are splayed out on across the two shelter structures we have here. There's, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, Eight of the 11 that are currently in the field are up on top getting some sun. And then the other three are eating inside the shelter. So it's a quiet day for the goats compared to back when they were drawing huge crowds last summer. Ask anyone who's been around the neighborhood since this herd moved in, the summer of 2013 was a magical time for urban goats. Susan Bean teaches photography classes at the New Space a few blocks from here. It was a it was a fabulous time. Every time I ride by here on my bike, and every time I rode by, it seemed like there were more people in petting the goats. It it was very magical. It was you'd see kids and just cute families. People would bring their kids to see the goats. It became a real destination. 
it really did become a thing where you had in the, in the height of the summer you had regular visitors who were here if not weekly daily on labor day one of the goats had twins and so the little goats were just oh i'd bring teenage girls here and the squeal factor when they saw baby goats was just off the charts this herd they grew into something special for a lot of people in this part of town more than a vacant lot different than a park or a playground it brought people together and generated a feeling of happiness people i talked to tended to use words like magical to describe it for bix it became a sort of sacred space apart from all the other places where he dwelt you could come in here and any of the other stuff from outside whether it's your bad day or whether it's the fact that you and the other person visiting have wildly polar opposite political or religious affiliations none of that ever came into play when you were in here because everyone no matter who they were just came in to sort of hang out in this open space that's not vacant space with these social animals that would hang out with you and all the other stuff got left outside the gate the beauty of this place the weird and wonderful belmont goats of portland it became a thing kind of by accident and it starts with mike across the street tell me tell me about yourself well i have creative woodworking and we've owned it for 30 years and we're across the street from a 2 acre parcel of land that's mike redmond he owns a little industrial millworking business next to the vacant lot a few years ago the owners of that property decided to rent a team of goats to mow the grass because I'm across the street they inquired of us for help with water and watching them and that's how Mike and some of his employees at Creative Woodworking became acquainted with the first herd but these were just temporary goats brought in to do a job in the summer when the weeds were high and sent back to the country when the job was done after 3 years of rented herds bringing temporary joy to the neighborhood Mike decided to give something new a try after the goats coming and going it was apparent that it would be cool if if the goats could just stay here and so i just started buying goats mike bought goats mostly in pairs first carl and phil then chester and lefty bailey and duchess dusty and hickory and get the idea people really seemed to like stopping by to look at the herd from outside the fence which led mike to his next idea when we started letting people come in and go in the gate it just went off the charts like we had a half million people in there i mean there's like 100 to 300 a day it it was really neat for the whole community and everybody that that like uh, bix would come down every day he'd come down and he would he would uh spend time with people and spend time with the goats and there's something magic about the environment that it produced it was a public service It was it was just a a little bit of joy. You know, pure joy. People would come here and they would smile. Everyone was in a good mood. I mean, you can't be in a field of goats in the middle of the city and not be happy. The people who were here a lot wanted to, you know, find some way to sort of mark this weird year that they had of being able to come down here and hang out. Yeah, I made it I actually made a t-shirt. 2013 year of the goat. You know, I have one of those cafe press things with a goat. Like t-shirt and mugs and stuff with a picture of Chester uh, on it. My favorite goat, Chester. I love that Susan singled out Chester for special attention because of all the goats in the herd. 
Chester's the one I couldn't stop taking pictures of either. Oh, he's very photogenic. He has a great beard, he's great horns, and he has great dignity. He's just, he's wonderful. He's, and he poses. Sometimes I think he's asleep. <laughs> he kind of just, he mellows out and uh, he just strikes some great poses. He's a natural model. During sort of like the height and heyday of the sort of summer of last year, there would be days, especially on the weekends, where um, you'd get hundreds of people coming through over the course of Saturday and Sunday. Sometimes you'd be in here and like 20 people would come by at once, which admittedly is one of the things that ultimately was making the property owner nervous about how many people were coming in here who conceivably could like fall down and then you have a lawsuit problem. In case this dream of a magical field of urban goats seemed a bit too good to be true, well, not only did the owners of the herd decide to close the gate to visitors in October, but let's put it this way. Two acres of vacant land right in the heart of inner southeast Portland, it's not going to stay vacant for long these days. So what's the reason why they're making you move? I don't yeah. Oh, they're developing here this year finally oh, after all this time. This property right this here? This property You're right here. you got to be kidding. What are you going to do with these guys? We'll move them somewhere else. We're still working God. on the where. Bix and seven of his neighbors, they're not giving up on the dream, though. Back a few months ago, when Mike Redmond realized that the goat herd he'd put together on kind of a whim needed to make way for progress in Portland, well, Bix and the other caretakers, they took a big leap together. Um, you know, none of us knew each other before uh, hanging out of the goats and then starting to take care of the goats. It was just people who met as a result of, of being the people who increasingly were hanging out here a lot and then getting to know a lot of the story. See, we would be the people telling new people showing up what the story was. Um, and then started taking care of them. And when they learned that these goats needed to be split up and sold off, they decided to take matters into their own hands. We don't think that's what's best for the herd because they've been together for anywhere from like 8 to 12 months, depending on the goat. So we'll take on the responsibility of trying to find a place we can bring them all to. So that was why we ended up accidentally becoming goat owners. They call them the Belmont Goats. And they're extremely active now, building up their social capital online and working to secure a new home for the herd, as Bix explained to Peggy and Mark. We're going to keep the herd together, so we're oh, not going to split them up. Be, It'll oh. be the whole... The whole Marianne. The, the, the herd yeah. is owned by a bunch of the people who are taking care of them now, rather than um, the original owner, who was the guy across the street, uh -huh. um, who bought them specifically to make sure we kept the herd together. Um, so we're still working on it, but... They're That's healthy. The they're, you, you're feeding good. God, they're so cute. So what is it that came over this group of people who had just recently met one another? Why not take the easy way out and move the goats to a nice farm an hour or two away? As Bix explains it, that's not what's best for the herd. They did spend the spring and summer and, and part of the fall of 2013 um, in effect being part of two herds, one that was a dozen goats and one that was this ever-moving, ever-growing mass of people. Um, and when we, that first week after we closed the gate here in October, um, even some of the less sociable goats were hanging over at the fence line by the gate. Um, uh, and again, you don't want to anthropomorphize, but this is not behavior that we saw from some of these goats. They had some conception that something had disappeared and they knew it came from that gate. The goat owners, they have some irons in the fire, some good leads on a new vacant lot somewhere in town, but nothing big to announce at this time. So it's hard not to feel nostalgic for the carefree days of last summer, when the goats would frolic in the sun and interact with people, people who visited them like Susan. They play and they push each other off things, and it's just, it's pure delight. 
so I really I miss not being able to go and pet them and I'm glad they're still here but that won't be for long and you know this is this kind of thing happens but it's sad it's it's sad they can't find a little corner for the goats somewhere in the middle of a city so yeah it was it was a magic time we all knew that it would come to an end but um it was pretty special the belmont goats they've developed a relationship with the people in the neighborhood it's a bond that Bix and his fellow goat owners are working hard to preserve, even after the herd has to leave their vacant lot to make way for the owners of the property to build what will in all likelihood be a very huge new building. You know, the, the, the watch raise for the caretakers who bought the herd was that we were going to do what was best for the goats. And while we've gotten some pushback on this uh, issue, we firmly believe that being social animals and being a very socialized herd that what's best for the goats is not the suddenly being cut off from people. So that's how that story ends for now. Although, Eamon, uh, I'm joined, by the way, Crow's Nest Radio listeners, by my kiddo, Eamon. Thanks. Say hello, kiddo. Hi. Again. Again. And um, actually... On that note that Bix ended on, that what they're doing is best for the people of Portland, uh, there's an update, and it's that the goats have a new temporary home. Uh, It just broke yesterday, probably right at the moment where I was done mixing this story. Um, They're going to be moving to Lentz. Do you know where Lentz is, kiddo? I'm Nate. I don't think so. Lentz is out on 93rd. The goats, you know, live down at 11th and 12th, which means they're only about 11 or 12 blocks from the river that separates East Portland from uh, West Portland. Right, and uh, uh, downtown Portland is on one side of the river and East Portland's right on the other. And the goats live at 11th and 12th. Um, They're going to be moving all the way out to Southeast 93rd Street and Woodstock in the Lentz neighborhood. Um, And that news broke yesterday, and I want to say congratulations because the goats, you know, they were moving, but nobody knew where they were going to go. And that was um, a source of concern because they didn't want the herd to have to leave Portland. So, kiddo, I know that you got a chance to visit the goats, right? Yeah, a couple times. With my mom, we biked there. Well, tell me about it. So, well, there are, like, there, I think now there might be there was like there was like twelve last time I saw it, but now I think but um them but there were two babies I think they were born after you went there, so there would be like thirteen now. 14. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it might be fourteen or more. There oh was, yeah, because there was like two other pregnant moms. Yeah, I think some of the babies got born and are off site, and then two of the babies, Precious and. I think Clover is Precious's sister. Precious is about four months old, I think. And I think that's the baby that you might have met when you visited with mom. Yeah, because it was the two twins. And there was that mom that was like, had to be fenced off because she, cause she would attack if people got too close oh, to her. Oh, the pregnant goat mom had to yeah. be had fenced to be off. fenced off from the other goats. In like one of the under platforms. Yeah, well, that's. I'm so happy that you and mom got a chance to visit the goats together. Uh, and that you got to take a bike ride down there um, from where we live right now. I should mention that we're 
coming to you live at the moment of recording this podcast, the day after the GOATs have announced their big move to Lentz. Um, it's mid-February, and it actually happens to be our last day in our apartment. We're moving. We're also moving the same time the goats are moving. There's a lot happening. There are workers at this exact moment that you might be able to overhear right under our feet working on remodeling the basement so somebody else can live in our apartment in a in a nicer version of the apartment we live in now. And we're moving to a different neighborhood um, partly because and if this is this is something I'm mentioning this in the podcast because it's also a part of the story. You know, the goats lived in a neighborhood close to our neighborhood called Inner Southeast Portland, and a lot has been happening here in Portland. Um, you know, I think the best way to put it is that actually there's a little more story that I didn't include um, where I talked to Susan about all of the changes that are happening. So many new buildings are being built in Portland, especially um, in the kind of neighborhood where the goats live and where we live. And that's what Susan talks about here. It's happening all over Portland. It's happening um, a couple miles away where I live. A, a building that was just vacant for a few years. All of a sudden, it's four-story apartment building. It seems like uh, Funky Monkey, which was a fun little local cafe. It's now several-story apartment building. It's just, you know, whatever whatever real estate slump there was has ended. And now everyone can't wait to build. And you know, I'm happy that people are feeling prosperous, but I hope that little pockets of of wonderfulness don't disappear as well. You know, we should tell people about the geography of Portland. Do you, do you understand, like, what happens when you start going all the way out to Lentz and then beyond Lentz? Like, do you know what they call that neighborhood? No. They call it Felony Flats, which is not such a great name. I kind of don't think that's... I don't like it when people use that name, but I've heard it from a whole lot of people. Do you know what a felony is? A felony is like when somebody steals something or someone gets hurt. It's a crime. And they call it felony flats because apparently uh, statistically more crime is committed out there because more poor people live out there. Was there anything else that you wanted to tell me about, kiddo? Oh, yeah, it was uh, what happened one time when me and my we and mom went to the goat field. Tell me. Oh, right. It was that one of the goats, I think it might have been Precious, uh-huh. what laid, up, laid down right next to the gate because she, did, er, she yeah. didn't want anyone to leave. So she laid down next to the fence, to the gate. But it opened outwards and she was on the inside. Uh-huh. But she was trying to block the gate so no one can leave. That's really cute. <laughs> and her little ear was sticking out of the fence. I know what I want to say about this field of goats. It's a fun thing to do that didn't cost any money. Yeah. Right? Like sometimes we need to do something that's fun and the weather is nice, but we don't we don't want to go, you know, we don't want to go spend a lot of money. It's hard to figure out what to do in the city. And it's interesting that there is a place to go that's different than a park or a playground. Uh but was somewhere where you could be for goats. It's a playground for goats it's a playground for goats it's a place to be with people that's different than every other place and that's the kind of thing that um is really unique these days and and it was i'm i'm very glad that this field of goats was created kind of by accident and i'm super thankful to the owners of the goat herd that they um that they never gave up 
And um, oh, you should check out their website, thebelmontgoats.org. They got Twitter, they got Facebook, they got Instagram, they got YouTube and Pinterest and uh, everything on the social media landscape to keep you informed about their story and to get involved in in strengthening that that community resource, the field of goats where you could go be with uh, social animals. Um, up on our website, Crow's Nest Radio, I'll put a picture of Susan Bean's Year of the Goat picture. I think I can find it again. I found I found Susan by searching for Cafe Press, Year of the Goat, Belmont Goats, Portland, Chester, probably. So you can go to our website, crowsnestradio.com. Um, well, kiddo, there's one more thing, though, that I'm actually a little bit, well, I shouldn't say amazed. It was always part of the plan with this podcast that I would write a special song, mm-hmm. but I Are almost, to it? well, I haven't even recorded it yet. I have to record it now, but maybe you'll help me since you've been learning this song. I actually didn't know if I was going to make it. I had one idea for this song. Do you remember, can you tell them, tell me the one idea, sing it for me. Oh, what was it? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, what was, no, it was the beginning. Yeah. Um, what are they trying to prove? Why are they go to the middle of the city? Where the hell did they move? Portland's weird, though. I guess that's pretty. Nice. There's no roofers. How pity when you're in a field of goats. You're of the goat. Nice. That's pretty much it. So maybe I'll record it now, and uh, and then we'll be done. We can say goodbye. What are they trying to prove? Why are the goats in the middle of the city? Where in the hell did I move? Portland's so weird though, I guess that it's pretty. No room for self-pity when you're in a field of goats. Year of the goat. I step through the gate into here out of doors. All that other stuff in the world gets left outside. We run to get out of the rain Not really hard workers, more dance grants and playing Each Tuesday's my turn once again To give them fresh water and Timothy Hay It's my favorite day They love me Timothy Hay Year of the goat A goat ate my coat Jester and Clover and Cooper and Lefty Bailey and Bambi and Hickory and Dusty Carl and Duchess and Precious and Phil and winter, the year of the goat. Chester and Clover, Cooper and Lefty, Bailey and Bambi and Hickory and Dusty, Carl and Duchess and Precious and Phil. Athel and winter, the year of the goat. Now I'm promoting the goat thing on Facebook and Twitter. The goats need a new home, they can't stay the winter. It won't do them harm to move to a farm, but we won't give up on the dream. That might be the best I can do today. (laughs) Well, Radio Survivor, friends, that was an episode of my now defunct? I don't know. I never know how to describe a podcast that you stop working on but you still love and you didn't give up and some of the some some of the evidence that it existed has not yet been uh um, wiped from the face of the earth, you know. Um, the website crowsnestradio.com still exists. There are many broken links. Uh, I think that I 
I think that I can share that a lot of the material that was up on crowsnestradio.com I've had archived. I personally archived at archive.org because um, what you just heard was the second episode that was the final episode of the Portland version of this podcast project of mine from 2014. Um, Prior to that, I had worked on this project. It was a I called it Crow's Nest Radio, and it was my opportunity to personally express myself as an artist in radio, and it aired on KPFA, and that also I called Crow's Nest Radio and archived my work on this special personal website. Um, and a lot of those links are broken, but I, I, I'll fix them someday, or, or you can go straight to archive.org to find the material. Um, my favorite thing about that show was that it um, I could produce content and air it i could script radio documentary um so perhaps you noticed that this podcast that i shared today was very special because i spent about a month on each episode um gathering the audio interviews and then uh, processing them through the written word which is how how radio is done at its at its peak um, you know, it's it's been it's been maybe unfairly or reasonably labeled the um, the American this American Life style of podcasting or the Radio Lab style of podcasting. There are clearly many examples of other wonderful podcasts that work as documentary, as scripted radio, and. Uh, I tried my hand at it, and I love doing it. And the month of labor that I put into it um, was worth it because I love listening to these episodes, and they also always broke my heart because I I would just just pour my all of my life energy, my free time, into this uh, work and hope that something would come of it? <laughs> Question mark. And what do you expect to have? You know, what does one expect as an artist? Uh, to you know, to spend a month working on a poem, and then you publish the poem, and then and then what happens? You know, um, you know the dream even in 2014 was well, you publish the podcast, and the audience floods in from from out of nowhere, from across the globe, because you know these episodes were posted on my personal podcast feed, available to the entire universe. Um, the numbers were were adorably tiny. Uh, a real lesson in how if you build it, they will come does not necessarily work for art that you express from your heart. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to um, to turn this into a, a story with a with an ending that I that I want to express into microphones. Um, well, I am talking also about the other project that came before this Portland version that was on the airwaves of KPFA. And I was very proud of the fact that I could produce like documentary style radio, play it for the audience, and then take listener calls live on the air. And that was a really important part of that show, which led to incredible coincidences that informed future productions. So I would share with the audience some extremely creative radio production work, which included inviting songwriters into the radio studio to perform their story songs live a very special friend of mine who i'd love to reach out to and say hello after all these years 
um, recorded some incredible songs, performed them in at the radio station to a live audience that we invited, mostly of his friends. We recorded it. Then we would air individual song stories because his songs um, were themselves stories. The lyrics were stories, but then he could tell a 10-minute long story that was extremely compelling and fun to hear that accompanied his th- his two-minute folk song. Um, we would air those and then open the phone lines and wonderful things would happen. Um, you know, one day a woman called and she said, I know the young the young man that was just referenced in the story that your guest just told, I met him when he was a toddler. It certainly makes sense to me that that's the kind of adult he would grow up to be. How fun that I just learned who he now is live on the radio. And then she called me to tell me that. Um, what an incredible opportunity to be on the radio uh, in 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 the old days, in the 2010s there in KPFA. KPFA was a very special place because it was um, the broadcast range was huge. It really was somewhere in the neighborhood of half of the state of California in one way or another that you could measure it. And that's an incredible opportunity uh, to speak to that number of people and to have them call in and tell you what's on their minds. Um, it's it's not, it, you know, podcasting is great. It's not that. And that was incredible. Um, so that was also the Crow's Nest Radio Project, a project that I'm telling you about now here in late December of 2021 uh, because I've never shared. I've never shared this work and I've never really shared this dream of mine that I would be able to produce work like this uh, for my living. And it's still something that is uh, that I'm struggling to believe is possible or to give up on, <laughs> to just fully quit, right, trying to produce radio. Uh, eight years ago when Paul Reesmandel and I met for coffee um, to introduce ourselves to one another, and we, we, were, we were not yet friends, we met for coffee twice and became fast friends who then built, who dreamed up this radio show together, uh, Radio Survivor, and then Jennifer who blogged on the website that Paul had built with Jennifer and Matthew Lazar. Jennifer joined us. Uh, Matthew Lazar joined us as well back back in those early episodes before Matthew's personal uh, journey led him to stop producing radio for for the project. But his work that he produced, I will still throw it into the feed every once in a while because it's so good. Matthew also um, produced highly scripted, uh, well-thought-through radio essays, essentially, that were... Um, incredible contributions to the first dozen or so episodes of Radio Survivor. So that wraps, that wraps it up, right? That wraps it up for this podcast episode in which I share with you some of the work that I produced in the past that I'm still very proud of. Um, I will be turning right around at the conclusion of this recording and figuring out how to present the same material to a radio audience without, um, you know, pouring my heart out in the same way. Uh, I'm excited that the Urban Goats of Portland episode that I just shared with you, uh, I'm excited that it will air um, across the Radio Survivor affiliate landscape, including um, hopefully it'll go out um, without too many glitches or delays uh, to the Portland audience. You know, I should mention that that 
the, the this was important. The Belmont goats are doing great, and they're primarily uh, findable on their Instagram account. Their Instagram account has a you know link in the bio, and then you click on the link tree, and you can look at all of the places where they've maintained their web presence. Um, and the Belmont goats have weathered many more changes in Portland to continue to be a a viable herd of urban goats out in the eastern part of the city of Portland. And I'm very proud of the work that those folks have done. And my heart has always been with them, even though I have not yet visited uh, since I made this documentary radio program about them back in 2014. And... And that's that. Oh, I guess I wanted to say that I wish I hadn't tried to sound so cute, especially at the top of the of the documentary. I was uh, I will just express that the stress of being essentially evicted <laughs> from our first apartment that we found in Portland, Oregon, and learning that uh, you know that the real estate and rental market pressures that we had essentially, that I had left my job at KPFA to flee so we could raise a family with less of a financial strain, um, were following us to Portland, Oregon. Of course, this is no surprise to anyone listening (laughs) in the future, to any millennial listening. The rents keep going up. But uh, at the time, it, it, it was stressful. And in 2014, and that stress was always in the front of my mind, and I had to push it down, push, push, push the stress down, down, down to produce this episode. Um, It took a long time for me to finish the work of doing the documentary, of processing all the tape, of writing my script, of getting ready, of figuring out how to present this pile of tape, how to tell the story, and in so doing... I faked feeling okay (laughs) when in fact I was freaking out. And the fakery is exactly, I think, what you can hear. There's a chance that many people in the audience stopped listening after they heard me use uh, such, such, um, that tone of voice. But I was attempting also to tell a story I think that was delightful. And I knew it was delightful and I felt that delight. And, um, you know, fake it till you make it is advice that I've heard many times from artists that I really respect the the dreams that they've made come true for themselves. So perhaps I should have uh, kept on faking my uh, my positive attitude as a podcast host in 2014. Uh, but I'm, you know, that being said, very proud of the work. Uh, super glad I could share it with you, the podcast audience. Thank you for sticking with it for, for this week. You know, um, if you did, in fact stay to the end here to my outroduction, uh, then you're definitely one of my friends. And do say hello if you feel like it. Uh, podcast at radiosurvivor.com is our email address. Um, Radio Survivor is going to continue in the new year, and there's going to be uh, noticeably fewer episodes, fresh episodes of the podcast. We're going to continue to uh, put reruns, you know, rebroadcast episodes into the feed that radio stations air for as long as we can get away with um, repeating ourselves. Uh, I'm, I think that the work we've done in the last like three years or so 
um, speaks for itself and is worth repeating for a while. I don't know for how long we can get away with uh, resharing all of those episodes. Um, I could say again here at the conclusion that it is my dream personally that that even if I don't have to take on the weekly work of getting something into the radio feed that Radio Survivor pro- provides for stations around the country, that, that somebody else will. That somewhere there's the right uh, crew of volunteer workers who, who have something to say and who under, who, who, you know, whose work or values are um, simpatico, copacetic. I, I had this problem many years ago. The, that, that whose values meld with Radio Survivor and who can produce uh, more episodes, more fresh episodes um, on their own. And I do think that that's not too much to hope for in the new year, but it's going to take work. Someone's going to have to do the work to find the workers who are available to work uh, for free on Radio Survivor. So uh, that being said, that's that's that was my um, contribution to, uh, to to sharing how how Radio Survivor has been doing uh, here at the conclusion of 2021 and how. Um, how I've been feeling as a worker. And so here's here's some old stuff that I shared with you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you when I see you next. <laughs>